Welcome back for another week. I can't believe we are almost at the end of Sefer Shoftim, second to last Shir. Our learning is dedicated to Eli Nishman, Rebbe Yaakov Alevi, Lucy, Maya, and Rina D, our full sponsors for the year, complete refuel for all holden by Naomi and Yitzi Hallander, in memory of Chana Malka, Bat David, and Rufu Shlema for Rachel, Meryl, Hinda, Bat Miriam Rifka, by Michelle and Gary Friedman, a Rufu half-year sponsor of Rufu Shlema for Menucha, Tova, Bat Shoshana, Chava, Deborah, anonymously, a Spotify sponsor for the year, Rufu Shlema for all those injured in Eretz Yisrael, and a Rufu Shlema for Yitzhi Chaimut of Yerufka Chaya, Brachel Yigal, Basachol Kitva, Tila Batya, Bat Chaya Tova, Shimon Ben for all those in need. Before we start this year, um, I would just put a request out with two more weeks left in Sefer Shoftim. We are getting ready for our push into Shmuel Aleph. If you know people that are interested, please share the link. I will share the link in the WhatsApp chat this week as well. Um, but let's continue to spread the Torah and Emir Tzashem will have a chance to learn together for, uh, for another wonderful Sefer. So, Pilagish Begiva, part two. We thought we hit rock bottom last week. And that was pretty bad. And the truth is, we thought we had hit rock bottom already at Pesel Micha. So, Pilagish Begiva, Perek Yudet, the first installment, is pretty horrible. And yet, we're going to see in the almost 50 psukim we learned today that it actually gets even even worse. And it leaves us with just this horrible feeling of, oy, how could this be? How could the Jewish people have sunk to such a low level? And that is something that we will try to understand a bit today. So let's pick up with Pasuk Aleph. So they all get together in this place, Mitzpah. Mitzpah is the place that we actually know a little bit before, says the Radak. We know this place from Yoshua. They actually all get together there. And uh, and all the Jewish people get there. And it's a it's an inspiring place. The Jews go back to a place of inspiration from the past. And you sit there saying, wow. We're getting to good places. 400,000 Jews come together. That's the entire army of the entire country. Could you imagine that? That's wild. In fact, Rabbi Alex Israel points out that to date in Sefer Shoftim, they had never mustered a group of troops that was even a tenth of this. 400,000 people. Midan, Vat Be'er Sheva, from all the way up north, all the way down south. Even the people from Gilad, even the people on the other side of the Jordan, join in. Four hundred thousand here that the Jews have all gotten together in Mitzpah, and Bnei Yisrael say, "Tell us." Eicha, how? How could this happen? Eicha. Eicha is not the most common of words in Tanakh, but anytime we have Eicha, it's a lamentation. How could it be? How could the Jewish people have sunk to this lower level? You're expecting, though, that the answer will be coming from who? From from Shevet Binyamin. 
Won't they be the ones to answer? It seems like there's an indictment towards them. How could you do this? And you would imagine that they would answer back saying, well, listen, you understand. It's not so simple. They're not reflective of us. But not the case. It's the Levi. He is the one. He's the one that, that answers. And look how it describes him. He's the, the husband of the woman. That was killed. The Malbim says, why does it say that she was killed? Because he wants it to be clear, she was murdered. Not that she died, because she was left out on the doorstep in the cold, in the late hours of the night, until he wakes up fresh and says, no, honey, let's go. No, no. He says, I'm the husband of the woman who was killed. Ayomar, and he says, I came with my with my pilegesh, with my concubine, to the city of Giva Lalun. We wanted to spend the night. And the people of Giva, they came up on me. And they encircled the house at night. And me, they wanted to kill. And my pilegesh, they raped until she died. And I took my pilegesh and I cut her up. I needed it to be known that an Ivala was done by Israel. Nivala was done by Israel. Sounds a lot like Dina. Dina was raped. Nivala Sabi Israel. Now, there's a couple things that we have to do here. First of all, we have to look at this, these statements and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, help me, God. Is this really true? Is he being honest? Is every single piece of information that he shares here accurate? Well, let's start from the beginning. I came to sleep with my Pilegesh in Giva. Sounds honest. All the people of Giva came and surrounded the house at night. They surrounded the house, but was it all the Balea Giva? They wanted to kill me. Did they want to kill him? They did rape her. And then I cut her up. Yeah. So let's take a look at the chart that I made. True. I came with my concubine to give her to sleep the night. False. The people of Giva all did this. It's not all the people of Giva. It is the Anche Blial. They surrounded the house. That's true. They wanted to kill me. Mm, they didn't want to kill him. They wanted to sodomize him. Now, the the um, Abarbanel says, listen, that it's true that they didn't want to kill him. But what he's saying is, I was not going to go down without a fight. Meaning, if this, in order for this to really happen, they would have had to kill me first. 
I was not going to allow that to happen. Okay, so maybe that's true. And they ra- raped my concubine, that is true, and she died. That's probably true. Although we did leave off last time with the possibility that he brought a live wife home, and rather than nurture her back to health, he maybe even Machelet kills her while she's still alive, or possibly she died along the way because she hadn't received proper medical treatment. Question, though, is what's missing from this whole story? It sounds really nice. I came with my concubine to give her to sleep. It's interesting also that he leaves out the uh, his Eved, his Nar. is not in there. Could be that he leaves out the Nar because he doesn't want them to have like the conversation with the Nar, which will be incredibly uncomfortable because what's going to happen? They'll say, hmm, can you tell us is this exactly what happened? And they'll be like, well, actually, not really. Little bits and pieces missing. But what's missing, the most important piece that's missing is that they wanted to they wanted to rape me and I offered my pilagish to them. I went to sleep that night. I didn't really concern myself with her until the next morning. It's a big problem is that he leaves that whole part out. But that's the most important part because what he's doing is he's saying, look, it's all them. I came, Bishalom. And they cre- they they committed this heinous crime. But it's not really a heinous crime if he threw the girl out there. He could have protected her. Maybe something would have happened to him. Maybe not. Maybe he would have died. Maybe he wouldn't have. But he is a part of this sin. And he takes no responsibility in this whatsoever. He says, all you Jews, get together and come up with a plan. They all get up. The whole nation comes. No one's going home. We have a big problem on our hands. And it's a problem that we must address. We cannot let this go by in silence. So they say, let's let's try to figure out what to do. So they say, let's let's hold a lottery. The Mitzvah, as David says, and others as well, say that what is the reason to do a lottery at this point in time? You have a lot of troops. But you have to divide them. Combat and those that won't be in combat. It's all the logistics and the people behind the scenes. It's important. The The combat troops are the ones that often get all the glory. Yes, they have the hardest job and they're putting themselves in the line of fire. But they're the tough guys. And it's like, oh, yeah, but they can't do what they do if you don't have a whole group of people behind them taking care of everything. So that's some to his love and others. This is no, the goral is, who's going to be our leader? We don't have a leader. But we can't do every, whatever we want. We can't have where this tribe says, I think we should do this, and this tribe says we should do that. They need someone who's going to be the leadership. Someone's going to take the, the, the helm. And that is the question according to Das Mikra. 
Pasuk Yod. But probably the Mitsuda reads better because the next Pasuk is Lakachnu Asara Anashim Lamea. Ten out of every hundred, and a hundred to the thousand, and thousand to the ten thousand. I'm not sure. Nobody seems to really address the reason why you need that. Uh, ten to a hundred will also be the same ratio. It's one to ten. Why do I need this? I don't... They're going to be the ones that are prepare prepare provisions for the nation. When they get there, there has to be food waiting for them. An army travels on its stomach. Even if it's supposed to be a quick thing, they're not expecting a long war. 400,000 troops against one, one tribe. They should win quickly. Nonetheless, they say we need to make sure that we're fed, that there's weapons, everything we need. So, Take one out of every ten men to be there. That's the first step. They all come as chaverim. They're all friends. When do you see something like that? They're all friends. They're all getting along. And now they talk to Binyamin. They say, we're giving you an out. What were you thinking? What happened? Univara Ra Misel. They say, listen, give over the bad people in Giva. Okay, they know a little bit that the guy was not telling the truth, because they say we want the Bene Blial. We don't want everyone. We want the people that did bad. Unimitem. Univara, says the Abarbanel, Unimitem. And we, we is all of us. Bene Benyamin. Join us in rooting them out. You have to also take a part, which shows that you agree that the Anshigiva deserve to die. Why did the Shvatim take such a hard stand against Binyamin? The Nitziv suggests the following. The Shvatim felt that they were right, because without unity, if there was not everybody on the same page, they would not be secure against the nations. They were worried for their long-term security if the tribes were not all on the same page. And therefore, they felt that if there's a cancerous group within the Jewish people, you could root them out. Sometimes when a person is suffering from cancer, you give them a strong dose of chemo radiation. And what does it do? It attacks the entire body. The goal is that you're going to take out this cancerous part but there will be collateral damage to the rest of the body. It's just how it goes. They viewed Binyamin the same way. You have to get rid of them. Yes, will Jews die? Barur. Will some of our soldiers not from Binyamin die? Of course. But it's something that we have to do. The irony is, how twisted are they? Where is this unity for the last 300 years? How many times in our Sefer? Was one shavit under attack? Another shavit says, what do I care? It's your problem. I'm a few hundred miles away, several mountains over. They're not coming to me. They're plundering you. I'm fine. I'm sipping my drink under my tree and life is good. That's as the Nitziv is what the goal was. But the truth is the Jewish people were fooling themselves, thinking that that was uh, the case that they were in a good place. But they didn't want to listen. 
Bnei Binyamin did not want to listen to the voices of their brothers, Bnei Yisrael. Interestingly, the word Bnei is missing. It said, we read it that way, but it's not written that way. The Minchat Shai says that this is one of 10 words in the Torah that's completely missing. And he gives some suggestions as to why that is. I did not find uh, either of his answers satisfying, but if you can think of an answer, please share. And the Bnei Binyamin, they come out of their cities and they're like, we're ready to fight. They come after 26,000 men, not including the 700 um, choice fighters that are in Giva. And Mikola Amazem, from their entire 26,700 troops, they have 700 young men, they're lefties, and each one could sling a rock to hit a hair. They wouldn't miss. Mamloes says, why do we care that they're lefties? Because lefties throw it at a different angle and would come at a surprise to them. They wouldn't see it coming. They have their own 400,000 troops. And they come and they ask God, Most of the Mepharshim say that as well. If Alex Izzo wants to suggest, maybe it's not Shiloh, maybe it's another house of God, maybe it's not even a full house of God. So it's a little bit of a tough read because they ask, God says, if it was Elohim, then I wouldn't know, but it says Elohim. So they talk to Hashem, they determine who's going to lead the way. This is their plan. They divide the troops. They have all their supplies in place. Unified people. They talk to them and now they talk to Hashem, they determine who's going to lead the way. We're up to Pasach with the war about to start. But the question is, why are Benjamin so stubborn? 400,000 against 26,700, it's a, it's a, there's no way. They're not going to win. It doesn't make any sense. They're so badly outnumbered. And they're in the city. They're going to be surrounded. If, if, the, if, you, if the Jews want, they can just wait them out in there. Why is Benjamin so stubborn? So two possibilities. The Ramban offers the first answer. He says, you know what? They say we got this. This is not a national problem. This is a Binyamin problem. We have our own courts. Let's take the people of Giva to our own courts, and we will take them to task. We will call them out for what they did wrong, and we will punish them as they as we see fit. The fact that the rest of the people insisted, no, that this is a national problem, this is something that we have to deal with, it bothered Binyamin. And Binyamin said, no, this is our problem, not your problem. Another possibility that Rabbi Alex Israel suggests is that they're cornered. They feel like this is not something that we feel... There's 11 of you and one of us. So the pressure, it made them... It ended up making them defensive. And rather than backing down, by like being backed in the corner, they, they go to fight mode. And that is what happens. And now we are up to Pasachov. 
The Jewish people go out to war with Binyamin. They expect to win. And they go to battle in Giva. The Bnei Binyamin come out of Giva. In one day, 22,000 Jews died. Wow. Now, if you look at the graphic, you assume that the numbers would indicate that what? It's like a boxing match of some puny little guy against some huge, huge guy. But no. B'nai Binyamin, the little Binyat tribe of Binyamin, they come out fighting and they kill 22,000 people. They, they, they're like doubling down. They're getting ready for another day of battling. But they go and they cry to God until night. Should we continue to go to war? God says, you just keep fighting. Keep going at it. The Radak asks, why is it that God doesn't listen to that? And he says that this is a punishment for Pesel Micha. The previous two prakim, Yud Zion, Yud Chet, were the story of Pesel Micha, and the Jews are being punished for it. The interesting thing is that there's no mention. God doesn't say anything about Pesel Micha here. By I, by when God, when the Jews are losing and they come and say, well, what are we supposed to do? God says, I'll tell you what you did wrong. Nothing here. So that's, that's the first problem with, with, uh, with the Radak. What's interesting is the Radak seems to lishit tato. His opinion was that this is all one straight story. At Neil ben Knaz, all the way to Pilegish Begiva. If that's the case, then sequentially, Pesel Micha is the event right before, and this would be the punishment for it. Ralbach says, no, it's actually not true at all. When you ask a question of God, you have to ask it in a very specific way. If you leave it open-ended, your answer will be open-ended. They said, who should lead us? Yehuda. Now what do they say? Should we continue to fight? The answer is, yes. But what should their question be, says the Ralbag? Their question should be, should we fight? Is this a just cause? Are we morally obligated to do what we're doing? The lack of precision. If you do not button up every hole, you're going to lose. That's the Ralbag's opinion. Pasuk Chavdalad. By Karuban Eisel B'nei Benyamin B'yom HaSheni. Day two. Take two. Another 18,000 men die. Another 18,000 people die. Now they all go up to Beit El. In the first time when they went to Beit El, who goes up to Beit El? Vayakumu vayolu Beit El. We don't know that they all went up because their leaders went up. The second time, it doesn't seem like they actually went up to Beit El, but maybe some of them went up. 
here call Bnei Yisrael. They all go to Beitel. And they fast until nightfall. And they bring Korbanu to God. And they ask God. It's the place of the Aron. The supporting, the supporter of Alex Israel, to say that the first time, and maybe the second time, they didn't end up in Shiloh, is because it doesn't say the Aron is there. Now they go up to where the Aron is. And who's there? They say, should we continue to fight with the B'nai B'nyamin Achi, my brother? Should we continue to fight our brothers? Or should I stop? They finally answer the question in an appropriate way. God, should we fight or not? Is this battle just or not? God says, go up because tomorrow I will give you the victory. It is so interesting, so interesting that Pinchas is here. Now, those that want to say that this story happened at the beginning of Sefer Shoftim will make the argument that it is very hard to imagine that Pinchas, who was alive in the desert, it's really, really hard to imagine that Pinchas is alive at the end of the Sefer. We, we see Pinchas here, and we also see Pinchas at the end of Sefer Yoshua. Both times we have a critical moment for the Jewish people. By they crossed over the Jordan. Before they crossed over the Jordan, remember the story, they built that Mizbeach. And the Jews go nuts. What do you mean? They're building a Mizbeach. This is Avodah Zarah. It's compromising our unity. They send Pinchas. What does Pinchas do? Pinchas goes and he talks to the people and he checks out the situation and he determines that it's the wrong thing to do. Don't fight. Talk, and you'll see it's just a misunderstanding. Here, Pinchas does not say any of that. But Pinchas is there, and God says, he's the intermediary, and, the, and God says, go fight, because tomorrow you'll win. I asked of Alex Israel, what, what's the connection between the two stories? And how do we understand the difference between Pinchas here and Pinchas there? And he, he, he offered the following. He said, Pinchas has two components as personality. I am the covenant of peace. That's actually what's said to him after he kills Pinchas, after he kills Zimri. Pinchas is this dialectic. On the one hand, he is fiery. He's aggressive. He's a fighter. And on the other hand, he's peace-loving. It is so scary to think, what if the other Pinchas showed up here? What if the Pinchas of Hinaninotein Lo Briti Shalom showed up here? Could the story have been different? It is equally frightening to wonder what could have happened if the other Pinchas had shown up. By Ruben Gan Chatsi Sheva Menashe. The Jews know that they're going to win. God has said so. That's the beauty of war for Jews. If we, if we have God, 
and we're actually talking to God, and God tells us we're going to win, I don't have to worry. I know I'm going to be victorious. The Jews set out a trap. It's an ambush. I want you to do two things as we're learning these psukim. Number one, we're going to do it quickly. Number one, I want you to keep track of those dying and see do the numbers add up. And number two, is I want you to, set, to think, where have I heard this story before? It does not feel like the first time I'm hearing this. There's an O-Rave outside of Giva. They come at Giva just like every other time. And the Bnei Benyamin, they leave the city to attack the people. They were drawn away from the city. Thirty people die. Now it's fascinating. They, they, they seem they like we we just destroyed forty thousand people in the last two days. Ten percent they've knocked off of the uh, the Jewish people. They go out and they see that they're winning. How much are they? How how victorious are they? These are not numbers like day one and day two numbers. Thirty people. I wonder if that is significant. Because there's another battle that sounds like this, and the numbers are also very small. They're losing. And the Jews say, let's run away so we can cut them off from the city by taking them out to the Mesilot. By taking them out to the far roads. And all the Jews turn around, they go to Baltamar. They then come from the plains of Giva. Ten thousand, there's three hundred fifty thousand troops that are there. They run away. Ten thousand men come from the back. Binyamin has no idea. They do not see this coming. And Binyamin is completely decimated. men are killed. These are all swordsmen. So they allow them to flee, so they'll fall into the trap. That, that's the whole goal. Let them run away. And they kill the whole city by sword. There probably are men, women, and children in there as well. What was the sign? They set, they set the city on fire. And there's a pillar of smoke that goes up from the city. By now, everybody should know that this, this is exactly the game plan of I. They pulled out a playbook from Sefer Yoshua. The last time the Jews had had a moment where someone sinned, threw the whole Jewish people off, Achan do the same thing here by I. They go out and do the, they pull an I on the Jewish people. 
ויהפוך איש שיסל במלחמה ונאמן היכל לעקור חללים באיש שיסל כשלושים איש כי אמרו אך אך ניגוף ניגף הוא לפנינו במלחמה הראשונה It's just breaking up the war again The 30 people had died They thought they were going to win והמסית היכל הלא מן העיר עמוד העשן And the, the destruction when the city comes up with seeing this smoke And then the Jews turn around and fire, fight back. Binyamin is sandwiched in. They're being absolutely destroyed. They surround Binyamin like a crown. And they take him to the east of the city. 18,000 people die. All warriors. They go out to the desert. 5,000 people die along the way. And 2,000 more people die. 18,5 and 2. Because that's 25,000 people. It's giving us how we got 25,000 people. 25,000 people died. The numbers don't make any sense. First we're told 25,100 people died. Then we're told 600 people remained. Then we're told that 18,000 were killed in the field. And then five and two more. But the numbers don't add up. We started with 26,700. You want to know what? 25,000 people died. Where did they die? These are all the places that they died along the way. But what about Elifameachaseirim? But there's 1,100 missing. Or if you say 25,100 people died, like it originally says, then it's 1,000 missing. Who are, where did those 1,000 people go? Remember, 26,700. 25,100 are the ones that were killed. That leaves us with 1,600. 600 remains alive. What's with the other 1,000? Or if you say it's 25,000, not 25,100, then it's 1,100 are missing. Says the, um, the Malbim, They had died in the previous battles. And so they go out to, to, to this place, Sela Rimon. The Radak points out that there is no one left. It is just these 600 men. No women, no children. Just the 600 of them. They destroy and burn all the cities of Binyamin. This is a horrible, horrible, horrible perek. The Jewish people have fallen into a state of civil war. And they're at the verge of destroying an entire Shevet. Binyamin is left with 600 men. It's terrible. So the question that we have to ask is not how could this happen? This is where the Jews have fallen. But I want to ask one question. And with this, we'll end. One question, I'm going to share with you two answers. Question number one, why do they need three tries? Why? Doesn't make any sense. They're asking Hashem. Hashem, tell me, am I going to win? Am I not going to win? It's a simple question. Am I going to win or am I not going to win? I just need to know. Is Hashem playing games with them? And why is this story so similar to I? So the first answer is a beautiful answer given by Rev. By Rev. Michael, Rev. Michael Hatton. He says, you know, let's think back to the story of Achan. What did Achan do? Achan stole. 
Who knew that Achan stole? Maybe his family knew that he stole. Maybe a few people knew that he stole. Maybe one of his comrades, one of his fellow soldiers had seen it and just turned the other way because he didn't want to confront him. Why are all the Jews liable? How does this idea of Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazeh work? How does Arevut work? How am I a guarantor in such a way? It doesn't make any sense. So Rabbi Michael Hatton suggests the following. He says that, yes, it's true that only a small circle of his family and friends were privy to the theft. But responsibility here means shaping of the social context that allows a person such as Achan to act that way. How could Achan get away with it? It must have been that the culture there was just not good. Now, when we had learned it originally, I suggested something that my wife, Malki, had told, had, had told me. And that was the idea that they should have been able to see the pain of an Achan. How could Achan need something like this? If he needed to steal, it meant that he felt he was missing something. They should have taken care of him. That's one possibility. But I think what Rabbi Hatton is saying is something a little bit different. He's saying that what kind of social environment promotes and encourages the behaviors of an Achan. And that's the connection to this story here. What kind of environment promotes and encourages behavior such as that embraced by the people of Giva? If that is the question, then responsibility in some form lies with everyone. Do you know why we go back to the story of Achan and I? Because the stories are connected. In fact, there is a medrash that says that when Achan was uh, was indicted, Yehuda comes and rallies against the rest of the Jewish people. Imagine, imagine that. There was almost a this here, a civil war back then. But what happens? It's calmed. Achan goes to his death. The Jews defeat I in this very manner. It's not the case here. Binyamin is, is the, the finger is pointed at Binyamin. There's a few hundred people in one of your cities that are wrong. Give them over. Binyamin refuses to do it. The fact that they are willing to be part of Giva's sin tells us that there's something culturally, socially, the fabric of the people is so wrong and so messed up. And so for that, the Jewish people suffer. And for that, there is such a calamity where in this, our story, what, 70-something thousand Jews die? And a shavit is almost wiped off the planet. I want to share one other answer. It's an answer that Rabbi Alex Israel suggests as well. He says that we have a mitzvah in Sefer, Devarim, Perig, Yud Gimel, Pasuk, Yud Gimel. What happens if you hear one of your cities? That's what Hashem B'nai B'lial. B'nai B'lial. Our language, that's what we call the people of Giva. There are these people. They say, let's worship idols. You need to do a lot. Look into Dig into Ask good questions. And then you find out that, yes, a nivala was done. 
destroy the whole city and burn it to the ground. And it should be, it should remain a tell, a destroyed sabbat, never to be rebuilt again. You know the keys to understanding this pasuk is that the rash of chakar to the It's those words. But the rash of chakar to the You have to ask penetrating questions. You have to really dig deep. Do they? Binyamin <coughs> is accused of a heinous crime. Who's the witness? How many witnesses? It's one guy. You get the words of this ish, and they're not even true. Imagine this. What would have happened if they would have actually done a real analysis? They could have then presented the facts of Binyamin and said, Binyamin, bad things have happened. Here's what we have. Let's sit in judgment together. Let's do right by Claudius. Let's do right by that Pilegesh. But no, that's not what they do. They jump to conclusions. And boy, have we seen that. Have we not seen that just recently? A hospital gets hit in Gaza. And what happens? Hamas, the bad guys, say, oh, it was a rocket by, by the, uh, it was a, an airplane strike by the IDF. Nobody asks questions. And only after the fact, and wow, the New York Times recanted, big deal. The damage was done. You cannot jump to conclusions in a matter as heavy as this. And that's what happens. God says, I I think this is unjust. This is immoral. But you're not asking me whether you should or shouldn't. You're saying, who should should lead? Fine. Then you come back to me and say, should we continue? Yeah, but this is where you want to go. Go there. Look what you've done wrong. The only time there's unity in Sefer Shoftim, only one time in all of Sefer Shoftim, Am Yisrael is, is completely united, is in civil war. How horrific. How terrible. It's a terrible parak, and not really a great way to end our Sefer. But we have one more parak. The Jews are going to be stuck with a problem. What do we do with the rest of Binyamin? Next week, we'll take a look at the last parak, parak Chafalev, and see the solution that they come with to save Sheba Binyamin. Thank you again for joining us. Have a wonderful week. and Keep walking in the ways of the prophet.